Do you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a little girl who played her violin, and she was sitting right over there, and she walked up to the dais like she was walking the green mile. If you've ever been there as a little kid who got talked into sharing in church, you probably could relate to the look on her face. She came walking up here, and she put that violin in the crook of her neck, and she started playing real shy and quiet. Anybody remember what happened next? It was awesome. Somebody heard the song, and they knew it, and they started humming with her. And then a few more of us joined in, and pretty soon the whole room was sharing that song. And I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that is a poem. I experience poetry in so many forms every time I come to this room and share with you. And if there was ever a time that we needed to share together for all of the right reasons, I think it is now. And poetry is always called into that space. Poetry has been defined as that which evokes a sensory response. Nothing more, nothing less. And I favor a broad definition like that because I believe as Robert Frost said, poetry is that which gets lost in translation. This morning, poetry comes to us in its work clothes. It's a good time for poetry in the world. It is the job of poetry to wake us up, to express things that we feel but don't know how to say. I'm not asleep to what's happening in this world but I find it hard to keep my eyes open and watch. William Carlos Williams said, it's difficult to get the news from poetry, yet men die miserably every day for a lack of what is found there. What's found in poetry and what makes poets of all of us is the thing that happens when you're participating in that experience of the art of words that's like putting your hands into water and being able to hold them in a really dangerous place, safely but completely immersed until the feeling starts to become who you are and you're joined to the subject, to the issue, to the battle cry, to the love song, and you know who you are more completely because of that experience. Poetry rolls up its sleeves, and as Toni Morrison put it, artists go to work. There is no time for despair, no need for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. Today, some of the poets, not all, but some of the poets here at People's Church are going to share their work with you, their attempts to heal themselves and the world, or just say what they need to say. Thanks for letting us have a service that's dedicated to that.
And what is a song but a poem set to melody? Thank you, dear. I wrote this song about two months ago for my father. It's a song he'll probably never hear. I dedicate it today to anyone who has ever felt unsupported or just misunderstood by a former generation. It's a song of understanding. It's a song of forgiveness. My apologies, but the, uh, the monitor is just a little bit loud up here. So much so it might distract me. <laughs> Thank you. I know I don't look the same. You can't even say my name. Everything. You thought to be true About me Wasn't me That was you I tried to be The way you thought I should But that made me feel bad More than good I hope that maybe Someday you can see the kind of soul I was born to be. Close your eyes and look inside. Shame in the truth to hide. Love is my witness, and love is my guide. And love told me to ask you that when you at me look inside I know you don't look the same time has touched your hair and you walk in pain everything I thought to be true There were things I never knew You tried to be The way you thought you should And everything you meant to do was good You've been hurt And disappointed too And that is why I sing a song for you Close 
your eyes and look inside. There's no shame in the truth. My witness and love is my guide, and love clearly told me that when I look at you, to look inside. Love is my witness. And love, love is my guide. And love told me to ask you that when you look at me, look inside. Look at me, see love inside. Thank you, Dirk. That was beautiful. I uh, I'll be sharing a few poems from my father, Don Miller. My name's Ben Miller. Um, these are very special to me. Um, this one is uh, called "Lights Out." Lights out. On a winter night, ice has claimed the once supple wires, made them brittle, like pasta dropped on a baker's tile, cracking and sending the whole town into far neighborhoods. I'm sipping tea in the silent dark, each hour one degree colder, loving the light and the snow, filled by the waiting and the quiet. The deer and bear to arrive any time. My son calls from his grandmother's, tells me I'm crazy, but I'm not. What's crazy are the bright days when decisions roll one into another, and the nakedness and the silence go unnoticed. This second poem my father wrote for his father. My father liked to give away potatoes. In later years, he invented less machines, tended more to his garden. I like to think of him like Van Gogh, creating things, both more in love with beauty than gods. I like so much better to paint the eyes of people than to paint cathedrals. And Dad's spade would slice clean through. Separating gold from gold, the simple gritty fruit, and the pleasure of eating at the altar of plain people. Thank you.
I was inspired by Leanne's, um, well, I heard it as a, a challenge for poetry to be called to action. So I had to answer that call and write something new. <laughs> if only words could bind bones back from broken ledges. We were never talked down from the edges of lines once crossed define who we are or were or will be. If only words could dissolve pain like a stone under the tongue absolves sin sewn into our skin from the beginning. There is no escape from aching so completely alone even as we cling to each other. If only a poem could cure us of all judgment, cleanse each cell of fear and bring our spirits whole again, I would write volumes, cover us in pages like wedding gowns of paper promises to bed down on. We could make a nest of words and rest away from the raging whirl of bloody money and walls unbuilt becoming bricks through the glass of our hearts. Thick pains we press our faces and fingers against in protest, though it's best to stay safe. If only words could shatter our illusions. I have never written such words. Ones I would dress my children in that would make my neighbors trust me, that would save my lovers' hearts from breaking, that would wake my father from the dead. I have not found the poem that feeds the hungry or sucks cancer from the sick. What are the words to make men stop killing and mothers stop cursing the names of other mothers' men? Tell me, whisper them in my ear, I will write them. I will carve them into my body, whittle my bones into their meaning, thin shavings of me like grains of sand washed away on the shore of understanding these words, uncovered shells gleaming. Until that day of discovery, I will stand here beside you offering the only words I have. These words will wrap around us like arms, holding all of us, holding the truth that we are all made of light embodied, trying to remember our own beauty. These words will weave strangers like strands folding in on one another until we can see our sameness while honoring how we shine. They will disintegrate the bitter pills we have swallowed, still stuck in our throats, suffocating, powerless from voting in endless elections for a change we can't quite name so it never comes. When we finally breathe again, the taste will remain to remind us that we are not alone. Justice is too heavy for just two hands. These words will help us stand together. They will start to heal the unspoken hurts between us, all the ways we didn't show up or stand up or love hard enough the times we stayed safe behind the windows of our hearts while others of us cried or bled or died, wrapped in the shadow of our ignorance, negligence, fear of appearing indifferent. We cannot lift up our light without owning our darkness. We cannot come together as one while struggling to keep hold of the wounds that separate us as if we would forget ourselves without our anger, as if we would lose what we came here to do. 
Perhaps, if we say them often enough, these words won't change us into someone else, but would finally reveal us to one another in all our multi-hued brilliance, the way the sun makes crystals out of sand. See righty tidy. That was beautiful, Beth. I heard Leanne um, mention it's poetry's job to wake us up. So I'd like to start with a, a few little snippets, poetic phrases, and poems that indeed woke me up from sleep. I occasionally uh, will have a dream of words and that wake me up, and these are very intriguing to me. And um, Sometimes I can write them down before I forget them. Um, the most recent one of these I've actually discussed with, with Leanne was I was awoken by the phrase, the nowness of things in the future, burning in my mind, and I woke up, stumbled in the darkness, and wrote it down. The nowness of things in the future. Um, it took on a meaning for, for Leanne, and it took on a different meaning for me. It started feeling like a good definition of intuition. Here's one I had a long, long time ago. I walked north and south and east and west, and each of these ways was a kind of test. And when I had worn a hole in the heart of walking, and this is where I wake up, um, it's, it's the, the question for me is, why am I dreaming? Why don't I just dream and when I was finished walking? No, the dream is using poetry, and I think my answer to that is there's just some realities that we need poetic language to address. I, I can come up with no other explanation. Okay, here's a weird one. First time my tongue caught fire, boss sent me out for some Oscar Mayer Band-Aids. Swoosh, poof. Bet you're wondering how I did that. Wink, wink, bullseye. All for a dollar. <laughs> yes, yes. This is a laundry list of absurdities, I think. Okay, and this, this dream here, this was one of my favorites. Um, these aren't themes I struggle with consciously, so it's a big mystery why I would have this dream. Holy brother, do not exist. Exist at all and disappear forever. <laughs> this seems like a riddle daring you to solve it. So I do not understand it. Okay, here's a, good, here's a couple small poems I actually wrote. I don't know who wrote those. <clears throat> this again is about the work of poetry. I've been writing in notebooks, trying to avoid the deeper meanings in hopes of finding one above the common toil of pomp and circumstance. I've been writing in notebooks, trying to avoid the profound tangle of everyone else's ideas, and not because I disagree. 
I've been writing in notebooks, and time and time again, without once finding what I'm looking for, I've grown tired and fallen asleep. And this last one um, I found in an old notebook from the 1990s, and I have no memory of having written it. And uh, it just spoke to me, and it it seemed to go with the type of things I heard Leanne talking about um, putting this service together. I think the subject of this poem might be something like the work poetry does, or the mystery of poetry. I dedicate my life to you because you have formed yourself into the shape of a delicate, ephemeral magic. I dedicate my life to you because you make time stand still, then disappear altogether. I dedicate my life to you because you make me grateful for my illusions, because the spaces between your words are shaped like enigmas, and because you have caused me to see the rising and falling of all things in the rising and falling of my breath. I dedicate my life to you because you let fall such wonder-dark pools of light through your infinite spaces, and you will do this forever. And I dedicate my life to you because you cannot be expressed, because you are the world and more than the world, and because so too am I. Um, so this, this one is one that I wrote, and it's, uh, it, it's about when, when we're going through difficult times and how um, sometimes we think, you know, the, the work of the heart is done in here, and uh, it, it's actually done out there. So this, this is called Heartland. <clears throat> when we are suffering, our important work is in the garden to learn nurture and let go of what is beyond our command, when there's too much of the world in you for the world to understand, won't you meet me out in the heartland? Is it anger or resilience you build when you wake up to find the plowman gone and have to push on the best that you can when you want to hold on to the past as you feel it fall like seed from your hand and be scattered all over the heartland. A heart doesn't belong to only one person. It's not meant to be owned or claimed as yours or mine. It's to be given, spread out and sown in the people and places where we've gone and with whom we've spent our time. When does life begin if the egg is never broken? who has fixed a shattered window by changing glass back into sand, and who but us can pick up the pieces when we need to break our plans in order to work our way through the heartland. A heart doesn't belong to only one person. It's not meant to be owned or claimed as yours or mine. It's to be given, spread out and sown in the people and places where we've gone and with whom we spent our time.
Um, I'm Gordon Bollard, and I would like to read uh, three selections from my full-length play, um, Facing Heaven. And uh, the play's not been produced yet, but it's had three readings. And uh, the three selections uh, I'm reading are all prayers. Uh, Just to set it up, uh, Facing Heaven is the story of a family who's gathered beside a lake at a cottage in northern Michigan in the waterfront area of that cottage. And one of the lead characters, Clark Bentley, a former minister, has lost his son, was killed in action in Afghanistan. And one night, Clark hears a sign in the night, a sound that seems to signify to him that if he can get his family out on the dock to pray, one by one, individually, after midnight, for Ronnie's return, Ronnie will come back to this world. The first character you're going to hear is Brandon, who is the grandson of Clark's sister. And Brandon is 13, and he's being raised by his grandmother, and he's volunteered to be one of the people who goes out on the dock to pray. Okay, so I got two things on my list tonight. Uh, First is Ronnie. Please bring him back. You know, I figured I might have an edge in asking because while Ronnie volunteered for the Army, and like I volunteered for this job, so I'm wearing his hat too. Yeah. So I got this awesome theory. Um, in science class, we studied about how a scientist guy passed an electric current through a frog, maybe it was a salamander, to put his leg back on after the leg had been cut off. I think he called it, like, regenerate. So I was thinking maybe you could, like, I don't know, send a lightning bolt to hit the lake and regenerate Ronnie because he's kind of like the leg of that frog. He's a member of this family. Okay, so second thing. I really don't want to leave the lake. I mean, I want to stay here. Grandma's okay, but well, Faye is more like the age to be my mother, even though she's not. You know, if we could stay here, I promise to never take another puff off a cigarette. Okay, thank you. Now, Martin, um, who makes a call to his boyfriend and... Uh, I should also tell you the end of the dock is the best cell phone re- reception at, on, the, on the lake area. So. Hey, it's been a while. I know, I know. Look, I don't know if this makes any sense or not, but I've always thought that God helps those who helps themselves. You know, like prayer is action, okay? So... First ring. Hey, stranger. Yeah, well, you must have been a busy boy. Uh, It's been five days. Tech runs. Yeah, I know how you get during tech week. Well, uh, are they all going to have costumes by opening night or not? Most of them. Oh, Oh, that's rich. Well, I hope so. You're not doing hair this year. Okay. What I wanted to ask you is, when can you come up for a little, you know, Midsummer Night's Magic. Oh, 
after that. Okay, that would work. That will work, thank you. Okay, good. Well, I let you go, I know. The show must go on. Okay, look, call me before next weekend. Well, you better. Okay, me too. All right. Love you, bye. Okay, you heard. That will work. Thank you. Love you, bye. <laughs> Clark, um, who has lost his son, Ronnie, uh, comes out, believes that the prayers aren't going too well. He has the final prayer, and his prayer ends Act 1. Back again tonight, Ronnie. More distant this time. But I know you're there. I know. I heard you. I heard you twice. Okay, forgive me, but uh, we might need just a little more help to bring you back. And I want you to know that I will be prepared for sooner or for later. Thank you, Ronnie. Yes, Four Lakes in. Good, yeah. This is Clark Ben. Can you hear me now? Okay, this is Reverend Clark Bentley. I'd like to make a reservation. Fourth of July weekend. Three nights. Yep, first, second, and third of July. Single room, one person. Now, I can cancel if I need to. Good. Oh. Business or pleasure? Changes the rates? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, and you tell me whether it's business or pleasure, okay? Are you ready? I'm going to raise the dead. So I'm going to be reading a poem by my uh, partner, Jim Croto, who uh, passed away in September. Uh, This is from his uh, poetry book that we're going to be releasing very soon uh, called It's Tangled in the Sweat on My Neck. Uh, But this poem uh, is a a very different poem, and it's about his experience of growing up in the South as a white man, a white American. And uh, it's a poem about... um, the fact that uh, in order to be called to action, we first have to kind of have an awakening. Uh, anyway, it's uh, called it, it's it's called used to not seeing or everyone's Mississippi Delta. Only low beams lit the road as my parents drove Highway 61 south out of Memphis en route to Cleveland, Mississippi. We passed the Devil's Crossroads in Clarksdale. There wasn't a marker. We were blind to more than the blues. I barely saw the civil rights marches, only learned later it's not a delta at all, no mouth until further south. It's all alluvial plain, this place of my birth. Grandpa disembarked in Baltimore's harbor in 1921, moved south when cotton was still king, but he never planted. 
Instead, he owned a five and dime on Main Street in Cleveland. I was proud to help clerk. Sometimes he'd aim squinted eyes my way, talk the Italian he taught me. It translates, follow that N-I-G-G-E-R. It's the longest stretch of straight road east of the Great River, my dad always said, as he drove with low beams to avoid blinding the oncoming drivers like us. We got used to not seeing anything beyond the cotton by the side of the road. Even amid fields of outcries at the murders in the streets, in the parks and the churches, we whites missed the lay of the land with our questions. Was the officer following policy? Was the shooter mentally ill? Isn't the KKK really to blame? The fertile flatness freed by the floods of the Mississippi and Yazoo was stolen and exploited. Indian removal, slavery, sharecropping, Jim Crow de jour, now de facto. History's alive and denied. But with my heart set on high beams, I can see how the, lay, the land of my birth really lies, how I could become Darren Wilson, even Dylan Roof, if I don't feel my conscription, if I don't feel the white of my finger placed every day on the trigger of the gun I was given in my cradle. Then there's no chance of turning gun into plowshare. There's only this senseless soldiering on. Adam, do you want to say your poem? This is a little break from the planned event, but Adam has a poem and he's going to share it with us in Arabic. Marhaba, how are you? Thank you much from before church. You memorized your your uh, I need your third in Arabic. I will now translate. No, that's a joke. I'm not, not going to translate that. But I've been told it has to do with goodness and love in the world. Thank you, William Roberts, for letting me use your really inspired title. Um, it went to a completely different place for me. Um, this is my little ode on a kind of pathological apathy. The nowness of things in the future. Those of us who never raised our hand, because we were never called on anyway, or we never felt called, or we never came when called, 
those of us still hiding in the bathroom stall writing someone else's name on the wall. We're sorry, but we're having our period. Full stop. Arrested in the stage of problem admiration. We who never left anything bravely said because we weren't breastfed, those of us who left a mother or a father so deeply undead. We have an Emile Gallet souffle bowl. It now holds junk mail, lost keys, coupons long expired. Are we whose mountain bike has been left hanging in the garage? We got about as far as November, and we couldn't make it end right. We just never managed to finish completing the FAFSA or the advanced degree, or the project, or the painting, or the novel, or the score, because we always needed something more. But when our feet hit the floor, we were still one rationalization short of the door. Just just little too far from the journey away from the kitchen or the TV or the bedroom or the boardroom or the beach or the Bible. Oh, because this is not that season of life. And the light is out. The light is out at that intersection. We must all cross ourselves. This is the word where my heart is. Father, resolute openness. This is the word where my heart is. Yearning. That people are treated equally for their race and religion, health care for all of us. Compassion. This is the word where my heart is. Happy. Frustrated. Sad. My cousin's health is bad, and she still has kids in school. This is the word where my heart is. Determination. Weariness. Distraction over immigration. This is the word where my heart is. Breaking open. My friend Merle. Thankful. This is the word where my heart is. Healing for Andrea and peace. Family. Call to action. This is the word where my heart is. Listening, anxious, discouraged, 
This is the word where my heart is. Resistance. Concern. Refugees. This is the word where my heart is. Joy for Anna and James who will welcome their baby into this world tomorrow. Yearning. Joy, fellowship, concern, immigrants. This is the word where my heart is. Concern for Bryn and Quincy. Kindness. For all people who see America as a refuge. This is the word where my heart is. Lonesome. Hope and love. Lost. This is the word where my heart is. Searching. Grief and love. Universe. This is the word where my heart is. Anxiety and hope. Alive. Thoughtful. This is the word where my heart is. Home. Love. Worried. This is the word where my heart is. Like my values have been steamrolled. Gratitude. Family. This is the word where my heart is. Saddened by our government's actions, but made hopeful by people's actions. Grateful. This new beginning. This is the word where my heart is. Feeling for the people that are concerned about immigrants. Searching. Anxious. This is the word where my heart is. Hopeful. Hallelujah. Resolute. This is the word where my heart is. A concern that people are treated equally for their race and religion. Health care for all of us. Frustrated. <laughs> for those words unspoken, we offer a moment of silence. inside you, or the project, or the painting, or the book, or the music, or the kindness and caring. <laughs> 